0: Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. For it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless, pure and genuine, Religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we, we invite your presence to, to illuminate uh, the Word, to the Scriptures, to, to not just uh, let us read the Word, but would you allow the Word to read us this morning? Uh, that that we would uh, understand and discern rightly in the pressure-filled, complicated world that we live in, that you have a message you want to speak of Jesus to us, Holy Spirit, that leads us on a path to wisdom and of a good life. And so we just ask that you would show us uh, your way this morning together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So a few years ago, uh, liberal media outlets went crazy over a story you might have seen in the news. Uh, It was about a Native American man who was being harassed by a bunch of teenagers on a school trip, and they were were wearing Make America Great Again hats. So you can just imagine this being in the news. You know everyone's going to talk about it. Any of you remember this happening at all? Uh, it, it was all across the country. People were outraged around the world. Uh, I, I, I kind of recall it vaguely. I didn't, have, I didn't remember it in particular, but I came across an article that was kind of reflecting on that, uh, and it reflected on a couple of the social media posts in particular that related to it, uh, and they were absolutely staggering, the outrage that came from people on the internet. One person posted a picture of the teenagers being run through a wood chipper, saying, send them in hat first. Another person tweeted, lock the kids in their school and burn it to the ground. And then one other person said, I don't know what this says about me, but I've truly lost the ability to articulate the hysterical rage, nausea, And heartache this makes me feel. I just want these people to die. Simple as that. Every single one of them and their parents. End quote. Now, before you shake your heads and before you say, well, thank goodness I wouldn't do that. Turned out the story had been misrepresented, and and more video footage emerged, and in fact it became clear that the Native American gentleman uh, was actually there with a much larger group than these teenagers, uh, and they had actually approached the teenagers. And. Uh, they were, uh, while these teenagers were waiting to board their bus to leave from their school field trip. And while the teenagers certainly responded to the intimidation with harassments and verbal assaults of their own, they're still responsible for that, uh, they were not the instigators that they were painted to be. In fact, one of the original reporters of the story, she uh, later, to her credit, she published uh, another article confessing that she'd been far too hasty to uh, report on this without making sure she had all of the facts. And she it, it confessed and was honest about the fact that she had been totally wrong about the story. And this is, this is where I say, like, we shake our heads, but the outrage wasn't done yet. Now it was the conservative media's turn to turn around and lash out at media reports and, and saying that this was a reason now to discredit everything this reporter and other reporters had ever said. And the outrage cycle just kept going in circles, back and forth, back and forth forth back and forth until there was another more interesting news story to talk about how many of you know if you don't remember this story in particular you know the news stories because they happen seemingly every week right and this phenomenon has has become known to us as outrage culture outrage culture. And and we hear of something and we think it's unjust and and we say, how dare they? And we shake our heads and, and we say, this is unbelievable. Why would they ever do that? And we become offended and suddenly we believe it's our duty to speak out angrily and even violently against our perceived enemy. And our desire here in this moment is truly uh, justice. We want justice to be done. We see something that looks wrong, and we want to see right happen instead, absolutely. But when we do this, we succumb to an endless cycle of rage and anger. And we're not part of a solution. We're just part of an ongoing cycle of back-and-forth angry conversation. Now, this isn't just limited to a news cycle and social issues, is it? This takes place in our neighborhoods, with our friends, in, in our workplaces, in our families. Now, I know you've been in a conversation with someone and, and, and your friend says to you, you would not believe what so-and-so said to me. And then we think we need to somehow uh, defend our friend or, or get get on our high horse and we need to go tell them and give them a piece of our mind. How dare they say that? Or you will not believe what this person has themselves into. And, 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 and the rumor mill starts and the gossip starts. And and without context, you go on a one-person justice mission to make sure everyone knows that this person was in the wrong, and everyone else around needs to know that they did a terrible thing and they said a terrible thing. And we do this in our homes, we do this in our neighborhoods with our friends. We spread our dissent and outrage in our offices, on PTA boards, or wherever else over how dis- pleased we are with what was said or done by this other person. And we actually bring outrage culture into the church. And we, we don't like decisions even that are made in church, or maybe it has, is loosely connected with church, but we as church people begin to let outrage culture dictate how we live our lives. And, and when someone uh, disagrees with us or we disagree with someone, we make sure that everyone knows that they're wrong and here's the five reasons why and let me get out my, my biblical passage to explain why they're wrong too and I'm gonna make sure that justice is done with this issue. Now, I know none of you have done that but I know you have friends who have done things like this. Christians, let's be honest with ourselves, we can sometimes be the worst offenders when it comes to this, because not only, I heard an amen, I appreciate it, brother, uh, not only do we describe how we feel and, uh, and our own emotions about it, or, or, or we communicate that we're angry about something someone said, a lot of times we love to attach our emotional experience to God and say, God does not like this. And it's really just us talking, and it's a really convenient way for us to make sure that our perspective wins the day and justice. In our minds is done. And, and when we do this, what we're doing is we're allowing the pressure of an outrage culture that has a, a deformed vision of what justice looks like. It allows that culture to put pressure on us and shape us and form us and get us to react and act in ways that is, are full of anger and, and we spew our offense over people around us. And it totally deforms and affects and causes problems and fracturing within the family of God. Are you with me? Okay, and this is what James is seeing in a similar way. Obviously, there's no social media. You know, they don't have 24-hour news channels, but they do have the uh, family life together. They do have the neighborhood, the community of you won't believe what so-and-so did. You won't believe what happened. And so he's familiar with the idea, though it takes on slightly different forms in our day and age. And James says this right at the beginning of his comments on this topic to the churches. He says, understand this. The grammar here is imperative. It's an imperative. Any grammar students or English nerds? There's always a couple. I see some nodding heads. And you know an imperative is a command. James is saying, I am telling you what you will do. This is so important. This is so vital. This is critical for the family of God to live well together in the world. You can't mess with this. So understand this. Know this. Hey, church, pay attention to this command that I am about to give you. You must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to to become angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Another translation says it this way, human anger does not produce God's justice. Now you may be offended by something you saw on the news or on social media or something a relative said to you, you're not going to believe what Aunt Edna said last night at dinner. You might be disgusted by what you see even from other Christians in your church. And you might believe it's your responsibility to go give them a piece of your mind and make sure that everyone knows exactly who's in the wrong here and what the problem is. But James says that we need to humble ourselves when we humble ourselves, when we, when we want to let rage take over because of the pressures of the world to, to live that way and live offended, he says we need to instead accept humbly the word of God that's planted in us, that's growing. It's a different way to live. The, the gospel message that's in you means you live from a different place than the outrage you see around you. And that's what I'm inviting you into, James says, and that's what Jesus is inviting us into today. As we let the scriptures saturate our lives, as we become instructed by them, we learn that God's justice doesn't always mean telling it like it is to those who've offended us or angrily giving them a piece of our mind. It means being quick to listen. When was the last time that you were just so quick to listen when there was a conflict you were involved in? like, oh my goodness, I can't believe they did that. Well, let me pause and let me hear it from their perspective first. That's not my natural reaction. And I bet if you're honest with yourself, that's not your reaction either. Like, let me see where they're coming from. I'm sure there's a logical explanation for this. And so we need to understand that uh, to seek understanding, we need to be quick to listen. That that while the world might be quick to jump to conclusions and quick to shame and and quick to uh, step into rage and speak violently against each other, we as the church, as followers of Jesus, as the family of God, must be quick to listen, even with those who completely disagree with us, completely live differently than us. We must be quick to listen. Well, pastor, you don't know what kind of stuff they're involved in or where their philosophies or ideologies are gonna lead. We must be quick to listen. Quick to listen. James does not give us an out except for these groups of people. You can do whatever you want to them. There's no other option. The command is clear And simple. Understand this, James says. You must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. It does not say quick to figure out how to prove someone else wrong. You see, God's justice, and we're going to talk about that word again in a minute, God's justice is is all about starting with kindness. The psalmist says that it's his kindness that leads us and led us to repentance. It is actually impossible for us to begin any kind of restorative work with people without engaging first in the kindness of God. And that means we must be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. It's going to be this way of kindness that allows us to enter into the justice of God, So apparently this was all happening a lot in these churches that James was writing to, as it's happening a lot in our day. Uh, but James needed to remind them that it, it wasn't just enough here. He, he's going to hammer this point home again, and, and he's needed to remind them, listen, it's not just enough for you to hear what I'm telling you right now. It, it isn't just enough for you to hear a good sermon on it, James. said. You can, you can walk out of here today. James is saying, you can't just walk out of here today and say, I'm glad I heard that word about being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. What he's saying is, you have to actually do this. You don't just get to say yes, yes, and then live your life as if it's no, no. We have to reflect and and look back on on our our weeks and look back on our days and look ahead to the hard conversations and those difficult uh, people we work with. And we have to look at those places and say, I need to humbly accept the word that is at work in me if I am going to be quick to listen today to my annoying colleagues and slow to speak and slow to become angry. And he actually goes so far as to say, if you don't do it, if you don't put this into practice, you are fooling yourself thinking you are following Jesus. That's really strong language, isn't it? He gives this illustration. He puts it this way. It'd be like looking into a mirror, he says, and then then you walk away and you don't remember what you look like. Now, that sounds a little bit weird to us because uh, we see ourselves in the mirror how many times during a day? How many times have you taken a selfie in a given day and you see what your face looks like? You have pictures of what you look like right here on your phone. Uh, you see your face everywhere, but that's not how it was like in James's day. You could go most of your life and never see what you look like because they didn't have mirrors. And if you had a mirror, it was a very kind of uh, hard-to-see image. Uh, You'd have to be pretty wealthy to have one of these mirrors. And maybe if you're lucky, you'd see your reflection every once in a while in a puddle of water or something. It was kind of rare to see yourself. And so what James is saying is, you know, in their day, it's actually kind of easy to forget what you look like. So imagine, like, you couldn't see your face. You couldn't see what you looked like. You had no idea uh, how how to know and, and understand what you really looked like. And James is saying, this is exactly what it's like to hear this message that I'm speaking to you right now, but then go on like you didn't hear it. You totally forget, totally forgetting, disconnected from the reality that's right here in front of you on your face. And, and he, he says, you need to look Intently. Just like we would with a reflection, look intently. Some of you don't like looking at yourself that close in the mirror, I understand. Uh, But we need to look intently, he says, into the perfect law. We need to let the the scriptures themselves, God himself, look back into us and see, hey, are you doing this in your daily life? Are are you actually uh, living like what I'm saying? Are you actually in your daily life being quick to listen? Are you hurrying to hear someone else's perspective before sharing your own? Anyone else like overwhelmed by how difficult that sounds? I know I can't be the only one. Essentially, as James is saying uh, here, is you are fooling yourself into thinking your character is starting to look like Christ if you just hear what I'm saying right now and then you walk away and you give your neighbor a piece of your mind it looks nothing like Jesus to do this. Look intently into the perfect law, he says. This is what changes us to follow Jesus and act like Jesus. And if you do, he says, you're going to become free from this cycle of outrage in our culture. Do you realize that you and I actually have no ability in and of ourselves to get free from these cycles of outrage that exist in our world? You, you actually can't get yourself out of it. This is, this is part of our broken nature, our sinful nature. And, and Jesus, through his gospel power, has given you the ability to step out and live unoffended in a very offendable world. And there's a way of wisdom in this, a Jesus-shaped way for you, that when you live this way, you can actually bring about God's justice, his righteousness. But it's not going to come through the right words, per se. It's going to come through the actions and the way you live your life, James is saying. So that's why it's so important, he's saying, you can't just... Uh, say, nod your head at the right time in the sermon because that's the right thing you're supposed to do or say that this is the right thing I should do. You have to actually live with actions that line up with it. You know, Jesus is more concerned with seeing his nature and his character formed in you than you knowing the right words and nodding your head at the right time. Jesus' primary concern in your life is that Christ, his nature, his character his ways be formed in your life so that his actions become your actions, his thoughts become your thoughts, his behavior becomes your behavior. And James says that you'll know and others will know whether or not Christ is at work in your life based on your actions. And so he's driving this point home. This leads us to uh, a really uh, critical thing for us to talk about, a critical concept for us to talk about this morning, and I've mentioned it at other times. You notice how I've used this word justice and righteousness a bit interchangeably, and you notice in different translations, you'll see each of those words used interchangeably, and that's because this righteousness and justice are two sides of the same coin in the Bible. You cannot be a righteous person without doing justice. And you cannot truly do justice without being a righteous person before God. They exist together and and they're never separated. Um, We call this the vertical and horizontal gospel. If you think about the beams of a cross, right? We have a vertical relationship with God uh, to have his character, to know his ways, to to live like him, to to have a connection to him, to be in right standing, free from sin, uh, being up to date with our confession of sin, bringing everything that we've done in our life under the blood of Jesus, under his forgiveness. That's a vertical justice, vertical righteousness. But that's not the only beam of the cross, right? We also have a horizontal horizontal uh, righteousness or justice that is about how we interact with each other, how Christ's character that's being worked out in us is being displayed in the world. Are you with me? And a lot of times we, we, we have these, this idea of justice, like James is saying, it's built on our anger. It's built on me trying to uh, have more outrage than the other person and hope that that's going to convince someone of something. By the way, as a little bit of a footnote, side note to that, did you know that uh, tons of studies have been done, the way social media algorithms work, the way YouTube works, when you look up a certain idea or you like someone's post about a certain concept or idea, Facebook learns that you want to see more of that in ex- in increasingly extreme versions so what actually happens especially in the social media world and our technology world and our phones is is if you like something of a particular uh, version of outrage because it exists on the right and the left and in the center and when you select that your algorithm begins to push you into an echo chamber where you only hear people that agree with your perspective. You're not gonna see other people who disagree with you over here on the other side and get a different perspective and opinion. So we need to be aware of that as Christians, as followers of Jesus. This, we have to have wisdom when we step into these places that uh, neither is offering a version of biblical justice. Neither is offering God's righteousness. They are trying to use anger, rage, and violence in different ways to try and bring about human justice that's ultimately worthless, Conversely, James says, as the people of God, if we're going to understand uh, true justice, we need to understand that it both has to do with our character formation, the action of becoming like Jesus, but it also has to do with how we live that out socially in the world. And that's everything from how I treat the worship team when they're having a bad morning to what I'm doing or what kind of action I take on larger issues that affect my town, my community, my nation, our world. Uh, Brian Loritz is the one, he's a pastor who who coined this term, vertical and and horizontal justice. And and just to think about these again so you can visualize it here, uh, the character of Christ, that part of righteousness is what's happening in this space. And this is the space of being unoffended, This is the space of of not uh, trying to get the first word in or the last word in. Uh, The character of Christ allows us to to be at peace with Jesus and with others in such a way that I'm not concerned with making sure that my argument is the loudest. And that leads us into a horizontal uh, justice and a horizontal righteousness, which which is how we display Christ's character in the world. And what this looks like is because I'm being formed and shaped by Jesus and into his likeness, I can take action that looks like Jesus in the world. And that means I can be really quick to listen. And I can be really slow to speak. And I can be really slow to get angry because the character of Christ is in work in me and it's being displayed out beyond me to others. And this is what James is trying to get at at the core in this passage, that, that you aren't doing character formation, you aren't doing discipleship in the character world, in your inner world, if you aren't also doing some action horizontally in the world. And you aren't doing any kind of social action if you aren't also being formed into the character of Christ. And James is concerned about both the vertical and the horizontal dimensions of your following of Jesus. I, I need to say that again because I think we get confused in our world sometimes and some people are trying to emphasize one or emphasize the other and the gospel, hear me, my friends, this morning is a gospel that is both vertical and horizontal and James is saying you can't say you have this vertical relationship if there's nothing happening horizontally that looks like it in your life. If, if you are continuing to try and prove your point prove where others are wrong, jumping into rage, jumping to conclusions, there is not the character of Christ being formed in you and it's being seen in your actions because what you're showing is only a cycle that leads to death. I, I, I love this. Uh, someone who understood how to display God's approach to justice beautifully was, was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., And and he once said uh, to to some white brothers and sisters who were attacking him, being incredibly vicious and cruel to him during the Montgomery bus boycott, he, he said this, do to us what you will. We will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. Do to us what you will and we will still love you. We will meet your physical force with soul force. You may bomb our homes and spit on our children, and we will still love you. We will still love you. What kind of powerful words are these? And this is what James is talking about, someone who's not afraid to step into a social space and say, we need to do something here, but someone who is equally only willing to do it in a way that looks like the character of Jesus. And this is exactly what James is after. Look at what James says in verse 25, but if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. You see, this kind of vertical horizontal life leads to blessing. It leads to flourishing. When you both are a hearer of the word and a doer of the word, your life becomes full. Your life becomes full of the character and the nature of Christ Jesus. Not just when you hear words, but when you live them. And that is what ultimately brings God's redemption, his hope, and his justice into the world. James concludes uh, with briefly separating out what it will look like to to live this out well and, and what also it does not look like. So just to give you a sense of that right here, verse 26, it says this, if you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. If you're not living that vertical, horizontal relationship, he says, you're fooling yourself. Your religion's worthless. He says, pure and genuine religion, both vertical and horizontal, hear this, in the sight of God the Father means this, caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. I think we often confuse this a bit in in our day and and when we're trying to bring God's justice into the world. I'll just use an example here. I'm really not trying to pick anyone, but it's just the first thing that came to mind. Quite honestly, sometimes when you're preaching, you just gotta go with the first illustration that pops in your mind. So uh, any anyone ever hear the phrase, uh, keep Christ in Christmas, right? Yeah? And, and, and there's a lot of... Uh, uh, there's a, it's really a complicated idea because there's really some good points and some things we need to talk about in terms of how God works in the public world and, and, and are we comfortable you know, talking about Jesus and, and his truth in, in the public world, and there's some really valuable stuff in there. Uh, but a lot of times, in my experience, and this is not across the board, so I'm, I'm teasing a little bit and it's a bit of a generalization, but don't you feel like sometimes some of the people that say keep Christ in Christmas are also kind of mean? Anyone ever have that experience? Now, we can go find anything on any topic, and we can find some mean people, but you know what I'm saying, right? It just seems kind of funny to me that we want to say, keep Christ in Christmas, and then you you, you get kind of mean and rude about it, and you're not really displaying Christ in your effort to keep Christ in Christmas, right? And and that's, that's a contradiction. That's exactly what James is talking about. Like, yeah, that's great. We want to see Christ on display in the world, but like, you kind of got to do it from a different place than this nastiness that you're trying to do it from, Right? uh pastor rich Velotas was writing sometime around christmas about this idea once and i love this he said this he's like i get the idea of keeping christ in christmas but i'm more concerned about keeping christ in christians what difference does it make if we keep christ in christmas but our lives are not reflecting christ in us what difference does it make if we uh gain the whole world as jesus said it but lose our soul what difference does it make if we uh, get legislation that, that we like and is good, but there's no real change in the law of our hearts because we haven't actually looked into the perfect law of God and, and what, what James is saying to us is uh, the world would love to deceive you into thinking you can j- champion a specific religious overtoned uh, idea and, and you can fool yourself into thinking that you are becoming like Christ because you champion this idea or you champion uh, this particular way of living and, and not actually living like Christ in the world are you with me? You all with me? Okay. So you hear me. What do we do? This is both something that has to be in us, but we know it's not in us unless we see it out of us. Stay with me now. And it's not really gonna be out of you and out of us if it's not in us. Do you follow me there? It has to have both the vertical and the horizontal. So, so what do we do? How do we live unoffended in a very offendable world. And this is the the bummer part of the sermon. You're like, oh my gosh, this is the bummer part. This is the bummer part of a sermon because when you're a pastor, you want to just like say that thing that's like going to just like, oh, this is so good. Why didn't I think of that? Here's the honest truth with this. Here's the whole thing that you need to do. Do it. It sounds, this is what James is saying, like, it's not complicated. We, we need to, uh, yes, let the scripture form us. We need to look into that perfect law. But at some point, the rubber's got to meet the road, and we've got to say, I've just got to do it. If, if this is really being formed and shaped in me, it's got to be out of me. If, if I want to see change out in the world, then there's got to be change in me. And if we don't do that, we're just going to repeat the human cycles of injustice and, and uh, unrighteousness and brokenness and hopelessness that exist in the world. Because we're trying to get one of the two without the other. So we need to do it. We need to have a deeply formed character that looks like Jesus, that's unoffended, that's, that's just not uh, not that we don't take responsibility when we need to, but we, we have a character that's not offended when someone does something to wrong us or something that we believe strongly in. Uh, when, when we live in this place, we're unoffended. We're at peace with God, there's no need to prove anything. But equally, it doesn't stop there. There is a social obligation that James is calling us into in the world. If Christ's character is really being formed in you, James says, you need to be caring for the orphans and the widows. You need to go put your money where your mouth is. You need to go let your actions speak louder than your words, to borrow some modern phrases so I don't have some profound thing for you this morning. Just, we have to do it. We have to do it. We have to do it. And, and we have to, uh, as James says, looking into that mirror. We have to look into the perfect law of God. And when you see your face in a mirror, do you ever notice some, ooh, uh, pimples starting to form. Do you notice that? You know, no, of course you don't. You guys have beautiful faces. You never see that. Uh, or, or, you're, or you're like, hmm, I'm going shave right over here. I need to, I need to get that spot. You, you take time when you look into a, a mirror to pay attention to things that need to be adjusted. And James is saying, when you look into the perfect law that sets you free, you're going to notice things. If you're reading it appropriately, you're going to notice things that are out of line in your life. Ooh, I, I got really offended that conversation I had with my sister last week. I, I snapped at them. That, that, that I didn't. I was not quick to listen in that moment. Or, ooh, I, you know, I was asked to to ha- to help this uh, with this group in town. Maybe that, that they needed some help with some care for from single moms, and and they needed food or they needed care for their children. and I, I just it was an opportunity right there, and I just walked away from it. That I got I gotta trim that a little bit. Doesn't, that doesn't quite line up with who Jesus is calling us to be. And, and the more we look intently into the perfect law that sets us free, we get set free. We get set free from a way of life that's focused on our own rage and our own way of justice and our and our own hope for the world. And, and we actually step back and become attentive to what God is doing. And we can partner with him in those places and we can recognize I, I have some character things that are out of alignment here I need to adjust or, or I, have, I have some actions that I, I've been saying I'm following Jesus and I'm saying I'm on mission with God or whatever it might be, but I'm not actually doing the things that I'm being called to. So when you look into the law of God, you get set free like that. Just like looking into a mirror and you know what needs to be adjusted on your face. So, two, very brief, maybe three, because I'm a pastor and there's always one more point than you think there is, uh, just application steps for you. Kind of some questions. First is, you might want to write this down or write it in your phone if that's helpful for you, but... What are the situations you find yourself getting in where you get really easily offended and you're trying to bring about human justice? What are those spaces that you're in? Maybe it's online. Maybe it's certain family members, coworkers. Where do I get really easily offended? What is causing me to be quick to speak and very slow to listen and very quick to get angry? Second, what are the opportunities around me for for social engagement, like caring for orphans and widows, needs of my elderly neighbors, people marginalized, whether it be ethnically, socially, maybe they have a disability, a sickness, whatever it might be. What are the opportunities around me to serve those people or to serve people in my community like that? that I've been ignoring because maybe I believe, well, that's, that's getting too political or, or I don't have time or whatever it might be? Who are the people in need? Those are really my two questions. And then I really have a, a tangible, tangible step for us this morning. Uh, Glenn, Sandy, I'm totally gonna put you guys on the spot. Can you just stand up? you're wearing some very interesting t-shirts today. That's right, that's right. We, we actually have, as a church, um, like literally handing to you on a platter an opportunity to serve your community and be engaged socially in your community. So Glenn helps run um, something in our community called Faith in Action that uh, Pedro mentioned earlier. And, and, and two Sundays from now, uh, we're partnering, what is it, like eight other churches around town, right? Uh, and, and we're going to literally be the church in our community and put our faith into action, quite literally, quite literally. So, so what that's going to look like, thanks, guys, you can sit down. Give them a hand. So, so quite literally, if we're saying Jesus is at work in us, then we need to see his character displayed out of us. So in two weeks, we're, we're going to gather here at 9 o'clock, Morning, and we're gonna have a very, very brief uh, gathering. There won't be any kids ministry. We might sing one worship song um, and, and we're just gonna pray for the day and and then folks from our church, you're going to go out and be the church in our community uh, and there's gonna be an email that goes out um, today and it's gonna have a link for you uh, to sign up for all kinds of different volunteer projects that the Faith in Action team has put together and and I wanna encourage you to Get your family together and say, hey, let's do a project together as a family. Grab your life group and and say, hey, what's a project we could all do together? Uh, Go with your ministry team, whether it be a worship team or or kids' ministry team, whatever it might be, and and say, hey, let's do a project together and let's go sign up in, in those ways. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources please visit us at plantchurch.org